We pray the Holy Spirit will come and lead us in service. And I don't know if he leads us to a half an hour of announcements, but I love that he gives us words and Jeremy has a word and, and Rebel has a word and, and we get encouraged and we can... You, people, the Lord uses people to get things done. Father, I pray that now you'd use me. I pray that you would just reach your hand up inside of me like a hand in a glove and anything that's the me that you spent all those thoughts creating the uniqueness and, and, the, and the beauty parts of me that, that were how you wanted them to be, I pray that you use them. Any parts that aren't that and aren't you, I just pray that you would fill that space up with your hand and let the rest go. Lord, I pray that you would now open our hearts. Scripture says that you can you can make us to understand, that, that you can open our minds and our hearts to understand. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that. I pray that our perspective of you would be accurate, not, not um, distorted by evil, not distorted by culture, only true. So, Lord, I just pray that your truth comes. I pray that your truth is received and that that we get different, Lord, that we would draw more near to you from what you have to say to us today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Man, I remember the last time I got to speak a few weeks ago, and I came up here and I thought, um, okay, yep, I could feel the transition. But we have a kind of a unwritten rule that whoever's got the ball... It's their ball until they give it away. So when the worship team is up here, whoever's the preacher, you don't get to just come and take the ball from the worship team. They give you the ball. And so I came up and I thought, well, you know, I think it's time. And I looked and I can't make eye contact with anybody. And I thought, nope, it's not. And I got down and waited. And the presence of the Lord was so sweet. And I thought, okay, now I think it's time. I got up and unfortunately, (laughs) I was wrong, but I flipped my mic on. And uh, I took about three steps that way, and I just had this overwhelming sense that it's not time for this to stop, that the Holy Spirit's moving. So I just knelt down and um, didn't turn my mic off. And uh, Monday morning, I'm doing the, uh, you know, getting the message and the worship to put up on the website. And I always try to listen to the beginning and the middle and the end of the worship to make sure that, you know, everything is okay. I figure if those three parts are okay, the rest is probably fine. And all of a sudden I'm hearing this, (laughs) oh Lord, heal Jenny's back. (laughs) And I'm like, oh man, I'm not putting that up there. I just so embarrassed. And I said, Teresa, what should I do? And she just kind of looked at me and I thought, I had this thought like, man, I, you know, I told you, Lord, I'll be transparent if you could use me in any way. So I, I, this is not an invitation for you to go listen to it because it is kind of embarrassing. But it was so funny for me. I'm like, man, I got to remember that that microphone was on. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um, the last number of times that I've spoken, we've kind of had this loosely woven thread through the messages about um, community and perspective and how that the enemy attacks us in our minds and how we have these tools, you know, these, this shield of faith and, and swords and helmets and breastplates of righteousness and all these things to deal with the attacks of the enemy. And the last message, um, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to say, wow, what a great message, but I think it was very revelatory, at least for me from the Lord, that the devil 
tries to get us to break right relationship with ourselves and our perspective on ourselves. And, and he, he gives us these thoughts, and then he beats us up for having them. And it was never our thought to begin with. And uh, as I was preparing for this Sunday, I think that thread is being woven through the same message, and it's, it's the perspective that we have on God. So I'm going to tell you right from the beginning that I, I have no intention of preaching a balanced message today. Um, we're going to talk about what God's like, but I really do think that over time, right, maybe you've, you've seen this or something like it, you better eat your Brussels sprouts because God's watching you, or um, just all these different things, you know, if you don't behave, God's going God's to gonna strike you with lightning, and, and somehow it gets in our mind that God's like this guy waiting to whack us. And, and, and it's so powerful and so pervasive that even somebody like me, right, I never went to church my whole life. I had seven cousins in Milwaukee. I probably went to four or five of their weddings. And that was my church experience up till I'm 40 or 41 years old, which is, you could tell by how young I look, just not that long ago. Um, but I had that thing about how God's mean. And, and who in the heck told me that? Where did I learn that? I mean, I went to the Freedom Center. It was the only church I've ever gone to other than church on the street since they sent us over here. And Pastor Jim doesn't teach that. But yet it was in me, a person who spent no time in church. So it's pervasive. And we need to get a perspective of God that's different from what the enemy will plant in us to deceive us. Even if, even if he's using Scripture, he perverts Scripture or he uses it out of context to get us to a place in our minds that's incorrect. So... All that being said, let's start with who is God? God is triune in his being. I, I'm not sure that I could begin to explain to you the Trinity. It doesn't bug me that I don't understand it, which is God's grace in itself, because stuff I don't understand makes me nutty, but this one doesn't bother me. But God is God the Father. God is the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth, the Son of God, who um, lived a perfect life, sinless, became the sacrifice for our sin, for every transgression prior to and post that man would ever commit, and then was killed, died, resurrected, and ultimately seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus, when he left, sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God. All three are God. They're a person. They're not some mysterious thing with, without emotion or, or any of that. They're, they're, a, they're a person or three people. That's one person. I don't know. But anyway, God is God the Father. God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the Holy Spirit. That's God. Okay? All right. Um, in John chapter 14, we have perspective on Jesus in the New Testament. We have prophetic perspective on Jesus in the Old Testament. And we have pictures of God and instances of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But Jesus was um, talking to the disciples in chapter 14 of John, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, then you have a sense for what the Father is like. He's not mysterious because Jesus told us, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, what is God really like? Psalm 86 and 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, mercy, and truth. So God is merciful and he's gracious. 
these things are, are parts of his nature. It says that he is slow to anger. I don't believe anger is part of his nature. I'll touch on that again a little bit later. He's merciful. So it's his nature to show mercy. When we think that we made a mistake and, and God's getting ready to really come down hard on us, and, and God can be angry, and he, he has in many instances come down hard on his people, but it was always from his nature, which is to love them and to try to get them back to the place where they can be blessed. Um, God is abundantly generous. And I'm, I'm just going to give you some perspectives, and then I'll get to the part that I, I think was revelatory for me, and I hope will really help you to get a right perspective on God. He's abundantly generous. Think about in the garden, right? The first instance of mankind, God did not take Adam and Eve and say, okay, now I'm going to put you over here, and I'm going to put up a little fence, and there's some enough stuff with you behind your fence that you can live. And then as you prove yourself to me, I'll expand the fence a little further and you can try some of this other stuff and some of this other stuff. And and pretty soon, if you're really good and you obey me just perfectly, then you can have this whole garden that's prepared here. God gave him the whole garden right out the gate. He didn't hold anything back because he's generous. He wanted them to experience bounty right from the beginning. Now, there was rules, right? One easy rule, but they were deceived. They broke the rule. That's not the story for today. But the, the point is he's generous. He gave everything from the beginning. He didn't make them work to earn all the stuff. It was just theirs to enjoy. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 17. You, you have good things in your life. You have good things in your life that you don't even know are good things in your life. Sometimes you have good things that feel like bad things because maybe God is disciplining you because he disciplines and chastens the ones that he loves. How would you like to be, or better yet, how many of you adults have seen children that were never taught discipline, as, or adults that were never taught discipline as children, right? They are not well-adjusted adults. They struggle, right? So even though we might not perceive discipline as a good thing, it's, it's from a place of love. And in chapter 1 of James, it says, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is generous. Uh, he's not only generous to his children, right? I think Scripture teaches pretty clearly that he loves everybody, but only those that are his in Christ Jesus are his children. But Matthew chapter 5 says, so that you may be sons of, his, of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. So people that don't even know God, and this is, this is not, I, I'm not, don't believe I could prove this biblically. This is just a thought I have. He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. And I think maybe because he knows the, 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 the way is narrow and the gate is small, few are going to pass through that gate to everlasting life with him, and, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and lots and lots of people are ultimately going to end up in the wrong place, that the only time he has to love on them is when they're here, even though they may never choose him. They may choose evil over him. He lets his sun shine on them and, and your crops need water. He lets his rain fall down on the crops. So he's, he's generous even to those that are not his children. And ultimately, uh, in John chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Imagine taking your son and subjecting your son to what Jeremy described to us during worship today. You'd be hard-pressed, right? You'd be hard-pressed, I would be hard-pressed, to be Abraham and trust God to the place where I could put Isaac up on that altar. 
But God did that because he's generous. He, he gave of his most precious, his very own son for us. God is also humble and servant-hearted. Even God in heaven is humble and servant-hearted. It's his nature. Um, Jesus, as an example of humility, remember, he never stopped being God when he came down to earth. He was always God. He stepped away from the access of his divinity that he might be the perfect spotless lamb, the, the perfect high priest to make the sacrifice of himself. But he could have at any time accessed his divine nature on his own behalf. But it, w- it would have wrecked the reason that he came, right? He told, I forget, Pilate maybe, that he, he could call down a legion of angels if he wanted to. So you have no control. Pilate says, don't you know I have the ability to kill you or let you live? He said, you have no control that I could call this legion of angels down from heaven and, and just take care of this whole mess if I chose to. Um, so he came from heaven in the flesh of a man. That is the ultimate example of humility. I mean, when we get to see heaven, we'll understand how Jesus humbled himself to come here and, and be a man, from king to humble servant. He said, I didn't come to serve. The Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. Um, he said that he had no place to put his head when people were following. The birds have nests and, and somebody else has some place. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't even have so much as a place to rest his head. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that came to serve and humbled himself, literally to the place of washing men's feet. Now you can't, there's not many acts of humility greater than to get on your knees and wash somebody's dirty feet. He humbled himself. And he humbled himself not because he had to. He humbled himself because humility is his nature. To serve is his nature. Um, as a servant, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So without him serving us, we can't even, we can't even produce fruit. If, if it weren't for Jesus, we could, we could do nothing that was any value to the kingdom. So somehow, as the nourishment that comes through the vine to the branches, remember, the fruit isn't produced at the vine, it's produced at the branch. So all fruitfulness has to come from us through him. Jesus is high priest. In Romans 8 and Hebrews 4, it teaches us that he is constantly interceding on our behalf. So even now, after he's done the work of being the perfect sacrifice, after he's suffered the pain of the sacrifice, after he's been glorified in his resurrection and his ascension, he's, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding on your and my, my behalf. He's constantly praying and interceding for our well-being. Humble servant. So, for the sake of balance, I guess... A little balance, right? Because I think our pendulum is, is over past center, and I'm going to talk this side of center. So, But I, I want to give a little bit of balance. Can God get angry and vengeful? Yes. It's interesting. Part, part of why I appreciate the Old Testament so much um, is that I get a perspective of God that causes me to fear him and be reverent towards him, not just in his love, but in the fact that he has established an order that he expects to be followed. So can he be angry? Yes. Can he be vengeful? Yes. Can he vent his anger? Yes. But anger and vengeance, I don't personally believe, I don't think Scripture teaches, is God's nature. Because he's always using those things as tools to draw people back to the place where his true nature can be expressed 
in generosity and love and, and giving and caring and, and whatnot. So yeah, he can be angry, but he's not an angry God. He can be vengeful, but he's not a vengeful God. He only exhibits those characteristics out of his nature of love. Okay, so now think about, um, just, just to paint some perspective, think about maybe right here as an apple tree, right? This is an apple tree and it's big and there's fruit on the branches and, and this is, the trees grow, peaches grow on trees. Okay, so this is a peach tree and there's peaches hanging from his branch and, and you walk up to the apple tree and you're like, boy, those are, those are really nice apples. But I think I'd like to have a peach. And you sort through the branches and you look, but for, for everything, there's no peach to be found on an apple tree because an apple tree's nature is to produce apples. It can't produce peaches, it can't produce oranges or tangerines or anything but apples. And the same's true with the peach tree over here. You could come over here hungry for an apple, but you're not going to find an apple on a peach tree because it can't produce outside of its nature. What it is is what it produces. And the Bible uses trees as an example a lot, right? A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. How do you tell the false teacher from the right teacher? You look for his fruit because from his nature, his fruit will be born. And you'll be able to tell by his fruit whether he's good or he's not good, okay? So that's, that's a perspective to have in your mind as you hear the rest. You can't give what you don't have, right? The apple tree can't give you a peach. No matter how much it might want to, it can't. And a tree can only bear the fruit of its nature. Hence, with God, his nature can be seen in the fruit of his spirit. Here's the revelation for me. I was thinking to myself, you know, God, remember we we talked about the fear of the Lord and, and that increased reverence for God comes from increased revelation of God. As he exposes himself to us more, we see more of his glory, which causes us to come to a place of greater reverence or fear of him. So I'm, I'm like asking the question, and Galatians 5.22 comes to my mind, the fruit of the Spirit. And I started to think, you know, I can't have the fruit of the Spirit that isn't the nature of the Spirit. The Spirit, the Son, the Father are one in their nature. So if I look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I can get a sense for what God's nature is like from the fruit that his tree would bear. If I came to God's tree and I needed joy, I could find it. If I needed peace, I could find it. If I needed love, I could find it. If I needed anger, he might be able to provide it to me, but it wouldn't come from his nature. It's not who he is. All right? So what I wanted to do today, and it was amazing how this became real to me, when I saw the words, I got the little electronic dictionary out with my little Bible program, and I thought, I want to look at the definition for each one of these fruit of the Spirit. And as I saw the words, it blew me away. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to save love for last because almost, I think, all of the rest of the fruit is encompassed in love. But let's start with joy. You're doing a great job, Tristan. There, you don't know, there's like 300 slides back there and she's just, she's just awesome. So joy. The definition in the dictionary of joy is the feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I thought about doing a little word association when we started and say, you know, First word that pops into your mind, God. 
And my guess is happy isn't probably the word that would have come out. You know, maybe it would have been a, a you know, pleasing word. Maybe it would have been a displeasing word. I don't know. But I've heard people say God is just ridiculously happy. And I, I struggled with that. I mean, I, I want to believe he's happy, but I'm not so sure how I know that from Scripture. But his nature is to be joyful. And, and the definition of joy is to be abundantly happy. So in your mind, maybe you've got to close your eyes a little bit when we do this, but, but get a picture of somebody who on their best day couldn't be, couldn't be anything but happy, or their worst day couldn't be anything but happy, just joyful, just uh, experiencing pleasure, please. So when you mess up, you don't wreck God's pleasure because it's his nature to have pleasure. It's his nature to be happy. So let's look at the next one. Peace, freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquil, mental calm, serenity. So when you think about God, he's serene. Remember Jesus, right? In the, in the storm, and he's asleep in the back of the boat, and the disciples are going crazy because they're all going to die, and, and he's asleep. Why is that? Because his nature is peace. He doesn't get upset by that stuff. He could get upset, right? He went into the temple and he turned over the tables and he got all upset because, you know, they were taking this thing that was meant to be a house of prayer and using it as a way to cheat people from their money so he could exhibit anger, but it's not his nature. His nature is seen in the back of the boat. And then, and then when they woke him up, and they're like, Lord, don't you care? We're all going to die. He just spoke to the storm. And he said he just released his peace into the environment because it's who he is. He's peaceful. He's serene. Um, he's patient. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Made me think of Jesus on the cross. What were the words that he spoke on the cross, right? I mean, he is feeling that the word excruciating literally didn't exist. It was, it was the word that they created because no other words were powerful enough to explain the torture that happens when you're crucified, when a person is hanging from the cross. So he's experiencing this excruciating pain, not to mention the spiritual torment that comes with paying for the sin of every man that had happened or would happen. And his words are, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's amazing to me. He didn't get upset. He was able to just keep this peaceful patience. He's kind. God is kind, having or showing a friendly generous and considerate nature. Friendly. He's friendly. If you met God on the street in heaven someday, maybe walking down the, the street of gold and he'll be wandering out from the throne room and you'll bump into him. He's going to be the most friendly guy you ever met because it's his nature to be friendly. Goodness. The quality of being good, in particular, virtue, moral excellence, kindness, generosity, nourishing, his goodness nourishes us. It literally, it's like Jesus' statement about the, the branches in the vine and, and how you produce fruit is through his nourishment. If you disconnect the branch from the vine, you, you disconnect yourself from the nourishing presence of God. His goodness is separated from you. He's good. He's not mad. He's happy. Oh, yeah. Faithful. <laughs> you know, the other thing you should think about is that this is his nature, but the Bible tells us that we would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So all of these things, these manifestations are for us as well. Our life can be marked by all these things. It can be our nature as well. It should be our nature. Um, faithful, loyal, constant, steadfast. 
uh, I think it's in Philippians, it says that he would be faithful to complete a good work. He won't start a process in you. You confess him as Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you start down this path towards uh, sanctification. He's faithful to finish the work that, that ultimately when you are presented to him as bride, you will be without spot and you will be without wrinkle. You'll be absolutely perfect. He's going to outfit you in a heavenly body that will never wear out, ever wear out. Unfortunately, I think the same happens to the people that don't choose them. And that, that, that tent that they're going to get isn't going to wear out. They'll wish it would. They wish that it would burn up and go away, but they won't have that blessing. But God, because he's so faithful, will not allow you, if you'll continue to stay in him, to not be finished in this work that he's doing. He's gentle, uh, mild in temperament or behavior, kind and tender, not harsh or severe. So his nature is to, is to be tender and gentle with us. And he has absolute self-control, the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior. So if he expresses anger, it's because it's right. It's not because he lost his temper, because he doesn't lose his temper. His actions are always appropriate for any situation that he would express them. He's perfectly controlled. If he's angry at you, it's because... You need it. Okay, let's look at the last one, love. And it's interesting when we look at love, love is so amazing. It is so deep that just like you couldn't explain what it was like to be crucified, you need to create a new word, you know, excruciating to to explain the pain. It's almost like even in the Bible, love is so hard to explain that you have to explain it by saying what it's not in some cases. So in John, or 1 John, um, verses 7 and 8, wildly paraphrased, it says, For God is love, and love comes from God. So if you have love, it's because God gave it to you. If you, if, you, if you love a person, it's because God supplied it. It's his constant supply. Love is from God. His nature is love. He is love. The scripture says literally God is love. So there's different ways you can define love. And, and, and biblically, when we see the word love, it could be translated from a number of different Greek words. There's agape love and phileo love. You know, there's this, this, this love that's just um, totally unconditional. That's agape love. There's this love that is kind of like brotherly love. That's where the, the name Philadelphia, the city, city of brotherly love, which they got good brotherly love because they took Michael Vick onto their football team, right? which they should have done, but I don't have time to talk about that. But we should all pray that Michael Vick be received. Scripture says that you, know, you, 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 you bring somebody back to wholeness in a spirit of gentleness. So the guy paid his time, you know. He says he's repented. He says all the right words. I, I, we should believe him and pray that he'll be received and, and restored. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. The dictionary definition that I had for love is an intense feeling of deep affection. And I think that's an appropriate partial definition for love because love is emotional, but it's not exclusively emotional. God loves us with a deep and intense emotional, mm, just like we can love each other that way. But it's more than that. Than that. The, the biblical definition, at least for how people would express love to one another, is in words like we see in God's nature, it's patient. It's kind. God isn't, je- or God, love is not jealous. It, it doesn't, if you're being jealous, 
and you say, I love this person, and then you, and then you, you have a, a jealous thing with them, then you're not loving them. doesn't mean that you don't love them, but you're not expressing love and jealousy. Love is not jealous. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. It's not rude. Love expresses itself in not rude ways, in, in loving, kind ways. I'm using the word to define the word. Sorry. Um, it's not easily angered. So when I said God doesn't get angry easy unless it's appropriate, it's, it's because he, he's a lover. His nature is to love. So when anger comes out, it doesn't come out easy. It takes a lot because he's patient and he's kind. It's not his nature to be angry. Keeps no record of wrongs. This is a really big deal aspect of love. And this is where I think the devil will mess in our heads, or it's, it's one of the places. Someone will do something that they did before. And you said, well, I forgave them. And then they'll do it again, and the devil will remind you. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you're stupid. You know, someone punches you in the nose, and then they punch you again. And, and you, you know, I understand the whole turning the other cheek thing, but there's just a stupidness to not recognizing that, you know, somebody might continue to be evil in their ways. But in the context of a loving relationship, it doesn't beat somebody up with a mistake that they made twice or three times or four times. It, it forgives and it releases. Just like God says that in his mind, your sin is as far as east is from west. That blows me away because he could have said from north to south. But if you start on a globe, picture a globe, and you start at the equator and you go a little bit north and you continue, you can still go north, still go north, still go. But when you hit the North Pole, if you continue a little farther, you found south because now you're traveling south. Same is true. If you go south... Eventually, you can find north. Try it east to west. You start here. Let's see, for you, this way would be west. Am I right? West, right? You start west. And you can continue, 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 all the way around the globe. And you can keep going west and never find east. And you can come this way and go east and never find west. They just don't meet, even though it's a circle. Just like north and south is a circle. You can't find east from west, and you can't find west from east. That's how God sees your sin. If you say, oh God, I'm so sorry again. I've, I know I repented. I know I confessed, but I'm so sorry about that I murdered that guy. God would say, no, you didn't. You say, yeah, don't you remember, you know, before I came? He's like, no, because it's gone. That's what this is saying. It's like, it doesn't remember those things. It doesn't bring them up because that's not love. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. Always protects, always hopes, always perseveres, right? Sometimes love gets really challenged. It's like, Oh, that person is just getting at me. Get him, get him, get him. Maybe it's a husband even and a wife or a, or a parent and a child. I can't see it. If you're trying to tell me I'm running late, I know. Hot, yeah. Yeah, I'm almost done. Okay. So when you get your kids, if they look a little skinny, it's because the air conditioner is not turned on over there. <laughs> just take them to lunch, feed them lots of water, maybe a salt pill, they'll be okay. So anyway, at the end of the day, Love will persevere. That's why when you get married, it's through thicker or thinner because love has to be part of that process. Otherwise, the wheels will come off if it doesn't persevere. So um, the last thing I wanted to talk on is probably a whole other sermon. We'll just do this piece in a prayer. But we have to get a perspective of God, not only by his, his nature in all these other ways, but we have to understand him as Father. And when we get this foundational understanding of who God is, in all of his fullness, then he starts to build upon us stuff that can't be shaken from us because the foundation of our faith is in God. It's in who he is and what he's done for us and then through us for him and for others, okay? So, sorry that I had to rush through this so much. 
the notes actually are already on the website, so if you wanted to pull them down and take a look at them, go to Galatians chapter 5, look at the fruit of the Spirit and ponder each one of those characteristics and see God in his nature. See him in his joy. When, when you think, oh, he's really an angry God, that's the devil speaking into your ear, unless you're being corrected. And my guess is it's still not God correcting you if you're having that kind of a thought. And, and rebuke that thought with the fact that God's happy. He's in heaven. He's smiling. He's laughing. He's rejoicing. He's delighting in you. He's a good, happy God. So, Lord, thank you so much. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that we will not only understand you in all these ways, but that we will get constant revelation of the perfect Father and that we are your children and what that love means to us. Thank you for this day, Lord. I pray that your blessings will rest upon us and that we will be a blessing to others, that that we understand that because we're done here now, we are the church and we would extend ourselves as a blessing to every person we see, even if it's so small as a smile, Lord. Give us a smile for whoever needs it. Pray your blessings and we just pray that you help us to love you and to serve you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Sorry it went so long. I promise no more half-hour announcements until... I get excited again and do it again. But at least not next week. Have a great, great week. We love you very much.